All right, welcome back to the Torah Chaim podcast. This week is Parshas Toldos, and as we have in previous weeks, we will spend a couple minutes going through this week's Parsha and trying to see if we can glean some insights for living. Uh, Torah Chaim, as the name of the podcast suggests, instructions for living, and also see if perhaps we can relate our lives to what is being read in this week's Parsha. Okay. Shall we begin? Yeah, but I just want to mention that I missed a chance to say something I memorized in elementary school at the end of last week's Parsha, I guess. What was... When Rivka... The, the Nevoah that Rivka... No, was it's this week's It's the beginning? Parsha. Oh, yeah. can, I, can yeah. I say it while we're there? We'll get there, hopefully. Really? It's after a couple of seconds, so I don't oh. know if we'll get there, but... Okay. okay. <laughs> So, last week's Parsha actually ended off with um, the death of Avraham and of Yishmael. Um, This week's Parsha begins, Ve'ela toldos Yitzchak ben Avraham, and these are the the word toldos we've had before, and is a little difficult to translate. Um, Usually it's translated either as children or as history. Um, if you take a look at the end of last week's Parsha, and this is how some of the commentaries understand it, at the end of last week's Parsha were listed the 12 tribes that come from Yishmael. It says, Ve'ela toldos Yishmael ben Avraham. Um, and he had 12 tribes. Shneim asar nesiim, 12 tribes. And similarly, well, or, and now the Torah is saying that those were the children of of Yishmael, Yitzchak's half-brother. And now, Ve'ela toldos Yitzchak ben Avraham, these are the children of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham, the other the other son. And that would mean that it's referring to Esav and Yaakov, who are going to be discussed a little bit later in the Parsha. We just kind of, we have to get around to that because we have to first introduce the story of Rivka's pregnancy, etc., etc. Okay. Uh, the other possibility which would perhaps fit a little bit better um, in terms of the flow, would be that this is the history of Yitzchak. And we discussed this a little bit um, last week, um, how you know the story up until this point, in the, in the story, Yitzchak is really only a side character, right? So we discussed it, for example, in the context of where was Yitzchak buying Sarah's burial? Right? So he's really a side story. Up until the very end of last week's Parsha, Avraham is the focus of the story. And what's fascinating mm-hmm. is very quickly the focus of the story switches from Yitzchak to his son Yaakov. Yitzchak has really very, very focus little on focus okay. on Yitzchak. And why is that? Well, one idea is we're going to see that there's really one thing that we see about Yitzchak that the Torah seems to stress. And that is, he repeats exactly the same thing that Avraham does. Right? So there's a famine, he decides, time to go. Now, he doesn't go to Egypt, right, as his father Avraham initially did. Okay. Right? Or at the time it was Avram. Right? He doesn't go to Egypt because you may be familiar with the idea that since he was brought as a korban, he was not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. 
He was not allowed to leave the Holy Land. So instead, he stops off on the way to Egypt, which is in a part of the world that is the focus of the of much of news today, <coughs> and to the land of the Philistines, mm. right? Not the Palestinians, but the Philistines. Uh, interestingly, some understand that the Plishtim, which is the name that the Torah gives, comes from the Hebrew word mifulash, which means to to penetrate or to break through. And that actually the Plishtim may have been perhaps a Phoenician tribe or a seafaring tribe that okay. conquered that area over there, which is now Gaza, which okay. is along the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. But they actually were not locals. They had broken they in. They weren't indigenous. They were not indigenous. Well, also, they weren't modern-day Palestinians. That's another thing. But leaving that aside, it's very interesting. As you read this Parsha, you notice that, like, Avimelech, who's the king of the Pelishtim, seems to have his own little turf in that area of the world, even though you right. would have thought, land, this is just part of Canaan, isn't it? Right. Well, no. The land of the Pelishtim is a very unique piece of land in terms of history. Similarly, we find when the Jews are leaving Egypt, right. the most direct route they should have taken would have been through that strip of land, right? And we'll have to see in Parshish Beshalach why they didn't. Right? There's a very deliberate reason that they didn't, and they went on a whole circuitous route through the Sinai Desert. But that piece of well, land, the, the area Rafa of the Pelishtim... Border, is that what it's called? Well, Rafa Crossing, yeah. Um, that piece of land of the Pelishtim, in fact, it, it remains a, 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 a sort of separate entity through much of Jewish history, meaning through the time of David, it's like that, really only until the end of David's life. Um, it's only in the end of David's life, I should say, that the, the that area is actually fully conquered, so to speak, and becomes part of Eretz Yisrael. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing we find about Yitzchak is he seems to do exactly what his father did. So, I have a question about that. Mm -hmm. Is that considered, like, a good thing? Like, a positive? So, let's, let's, let's just first show that it's the case, and then okay. try and understand it a little better. <laughs> Sorry, I'm jumping No worries. <laughs> so... He goes, he, there's a famine, he leaves. What does he say about his wife? When what? asked who she is, is he says, sister? she's my sister. Who okay. else do we know said that? Uh, Avram. <laughs> Avram did exactly the same thing. In fact, this time, Avimelech is not fooled. Fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> Fool me twice, right? Avimelech is not fooled this time. And as you'll as you see in the story, he doesn't take Rivka. He very hesitantly waits to see what happens. And sure enough, he catches Yitzchak and Rivka, so to speak, in the act, which is a whole nother discussion, which we might have to have when we get there. What exactly did he see Yitzchak and Rivka doing? And how did he see Yitzchak and Rivka doing that? The simplest understanding is that he saw Yitzchak and Rivka the, the word that's used in the Pasuk is mitzacheik, which means they were kind of, they were joking around. They were kidding in the way that a husband and wife would kid, not in the way that a brother and sister would kid. Though, interesting side note here. Um, I remember I once went out for dinner with my sister Menucha. Shout out to Menucha. And she got, I don't remember if it was at the dinner or right after the dinner, she got a text from her friend about how, oh, wow, you look so comfortable on that date. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I once went out to eat with my brother, Morty, and um, I told him that he should treat me because otherwise people will, will see, you know, 
see me paying for my meal and they'll be like, what kind of guy makes the girl pay on a date? (laughs) Anywho. So, yeah. Um, So, uh, the simple understanding is that he saw them just kind of kidding in a way that a husband and wife would kid, not that that siblings would kid. And and through that, he recognized that they were husband and wife. There's a whole other approach from Rebellio Lopian, but we're not going to discuss it at this particular moment. Um, so he does exactly what Avram did. He says, she's my sister, right? He redigs the exact same wells that Avraham dug, right? And calls them exactly the same names. In fact, the Torah stresses, Kashi Mosa, Sherkar Lahan, Avraham Aviv. He gives them the same name that his father Avraham gave them, right? Okay. I mean, it's like... All we really find Yitzchak like doing, he Abraham's has the life. same covenant together with Avimelech that his father had with Avimelech. All he seems to do is exactly the same thing that Avraham did. Now, I want to suggest two possible approaches to this. Okay. One is, and we discussed this a little bit um, a while back, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Avraham was the first person who became a Jew, whereas Yitzchak was the first person who was born a Jew, so to speak. Right. right? Um, and one of the themes that we're going to see in this week's Parsha is the idea of Judaism, not as a religion, but as a family or an ethnicity. Okay. Right? Interesting. There's something very unique about Judaism in that way, if you think about it. There is no other religion that I can think of in the world where you can defy belief in that religion and still be a member of that religion. Right. Whereas right. a like Jew, people say they're ethnically Jewish, but they're not. Forget about what people say. Halakhically, a Jew um, who denies belief in God still remains a Jew. Got it. Got it. Right. In fact, the only thing that defines a Jew, with one exception, which we'll have to discuss in just a minute, the only thing that defines a Jew is genetics. The fact that their mother was Jewish. If a person's mother is Jewish, they are Jewish. Right. So it's interesting, Judaism can't really be classified as a religion quite in the same way, because it, it, it is independent of belief. That's not to say that Judaism doesn't have beliefs. We have right. very important beliefs. And if you are, if you don't have those beliefs, you cannot fully function as a practicing Jew, right? However, what identifies someone or what classifies someone as Jewish is simply their genealogy. Right, right. Wow. And that's toldos. That's what the word toldos means. The genealogy. And if you think about it, by the way, we use the English term genealogy in both ways that I discussed before. We use it in the genetic sense. We talk about a person's genealogy in terms of right. who they're from, and also in terms of the historical sense. Right. When you're talking about the genealogy of something, you talk about its history. Right. right? So it's interesting. And in fact, this is really worthwhile. If you listen very closely to the Torah reading on Shabbos, you will see the number of times that the Torah seemingly extraneously stresses people's relationship. So it talks about Yaakov, Rivka's son, and Esav, Yitzchak's son, over and over and over yeah. again. Or Esav, Yaakov's brother. Or Lavan, Rivka's brother. How many times repeatedly the Torah stresses that? And that seems to be a focus of this week's parsha. And so we can understand part of... Yitzchak's job, so to speak, is simply the idea of passing on the Jewish gene, right? And in that sense, he doesn't do anything of his own, right? 
In that sense, he doesn't. He all he does is he passes along what we would call perhaps the Masorah, the tradition of Judaism from one generation to the next. But I still have my question: Is this considered good or bad? Because I could see it kind of going both ways. Neither. It's it's a function that he that he serves. It's not good nor bad. It's just the reality of his nature. Because, like we discussed, that Avram being a trailblazer was a big thing. Correct, but that was what was needed for for an Avram, not necessarily what yeah. is needed for a Yitzchak. So, what's needed for Yitzchak is just that he pass on the. But I'd like to suggest a slightly different idea. Um, okay. I'm trying to remember where it was. The first idea I've definitely seen Rav Matisyahu Solomon and Matnaskaim um, explain it that way. This this idea, though, I, I've seen it. I can't remember those. I apologize where it was that I saw it. But it was Leviliahu, but I can't remember. Um, the other possibility is that Yitzchak did exactly the same things that his father did, but he did them as Yitzchak, not as Yaakov. Which, if you think about it, is part of what the experience of the difference between, say, an FFB and a BT, right? Someone who's from from birth versus mm-hmm. someone who's a Balchuva, right? So someone who's a Balchuva who comes to religion later in their life, they choose it, right? Right. They discover it, they uncover it, they choose it. And that's what Avraham did, right? Right. The person who is an FFB, so to speak, who's from from birth, right? Oftentimes, there's this sense of, yeah, well, my parents got to make that choice, maybe, right? Being children of Bali Chuba, right. I think we can, you know, we, we can, can both that. relate to this. My parents got to make that choice, but where do I get to make that choice, right? right? And what Yitzchak does is he does exactly the same thing that his father did, but because he chooses to do so. And that's what's so special about Yitzchak. He can repeat exactly the same thing that his father did, but not because he's just merely echoing what it was that the previous generation was doing, but because he chose to do so. Wow, that's very powerful. Because we can all make that choice. Which means, correct. You know, that means we, right? And as uh, I've heard from my father, I think he quoted in the name of Shmuel Kamenetsky, right? That we say in our Shmona Asari, Elokeinu Velokeinu. We call God our God and the God of our forefathers. Because first and foremost, he has to be our God. Then we can talk about the wow. fact that he is also the God of our forefathers, and there's a whole tradition behind it, right? Wow. But first and foremost, he has to be Elohim. We, we have to have make that choice, and that has to be our own personal connection. So that is the story of Yitzhak. Also, incidentally, I want to point out, and a shout out to your mother here again, okay. uh, Rabbeinu Bachai on this week's Parsha an- answers one of the questions that we raised earlier, remember we discussed what happened to all of those, um, oh, all of the yeah. converts, yeah. right? That yeah, Abraham made. So he actually understands that the wells that are being discussed in this week's Parsha is actually referring to the converts. And it what? says, Abraham. After Abraham died, the Pelishtim stuffed them up. And he understands that that means that they basically took the people that Avraham had converted, and he actually goes into a whole gematria, how the word be'er and ger have the same gematria, right? Okay. Well, be'er, ger, convert, right? right? They're both 203, right? They have the same gematria. So he says, actually, it's referring to those gerim, those converts that Avraham had brought in. The Polishtim basically dragged them back, and then Yitzchak went ahead and redug those wells. He recreated 
those gerim. So that's Rabino wow. Bachai's approach wow. to um, to how that happened. And again, this would be echoing what we were just saying a moment ago, that Yitzchak is doing exactly the same thing that his father did, but he's doing it as Yitzchak, not as Avraham. Wow. Now, there's a very strange pasuk in, in or very strange phenomenon in this pasuk. Ela told us Yitzchak ben Avraham. It says, these are the, this is the history or the children of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. Avraham holid es Yitzchak. Avraham bore Yitzchak. Okay. Now, that's what we call in English a tautology, right? Or as my eighth grade Rebbe liked to say, that is repetitive, redundant, and superfluous. <laughs> okay. Right? Why does it say Avraham holid es Yitzchak? Avraham bore Yitzchak. Obviously, if Yitz, Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. Um, is that because, I, I don't know if I'm remembering the right thing here, but because people questioned if it's possible that... Excellent. So, uh, yeah. So, as Rashi Shout mentions... my Parsha classes in Vesaka. As Rashi mentions over here, um, the Medrash, which we'll discuss in just a moment. I, before we say the Medrash, I just want to give the shot because I always like to kind of give the shot approach, the simple without getting too fancy approach, then we can discuss the Medrash in just a moment. But the way the Ibn Ezra understands it and others understand it is meaning, remember that this is uh, leaving off from the previous Parsha, which discussed Yishmael, the son of Abraham. Right? Right. So what the Torah is saying over here is that in as much as both of them were children of Abraham, Yitzchak was the primary child. Abraham holides Yitzchak Avraham, or you might say it this way, Avraham with a hey is the one who had a child called Yitzchak, which we discussed earlier, right? How it's only after he gets that hey added to his name that he is able right. to then have a child, Yitzchak. So Avraham holidus Yitzchak means he raised Yitzchak. That's the way the Ben Ezra approaches it, right? Meaning he he raised him uniquely, right? He, he kind of, he made sure that he was going to be the continuation. Right. Um, Rashi, however, as you mentioned, brings that medrash. The medrash says the following. You know, the, it was pretty odd that for however many years, Abraham and Sarah are married, no kids. All of a sudden, Sarah gets taken by Avimelech, and sure enough, she gets pregnant. Right. Right. And so, as Rashi quotes the Leitzane Hador, right? The, the, those are the, the cynics, right? Um, they said, well, the um, I, come on. I mean, we all know who the real father is here, right? And so, therefore, Hashem created a miracle that Yitzchak, Yitzchak looked identical to Abraham. Now, there's that's not quite the way that the Medrash says it. The Medrash actually says that his face changed um, into the image of Avraham. But simply understood, he was the, as they say, the spitting image of his right. father. And there ain't no mistaking who Yitzchak's father was. Right? Right. Um, so now we know Avraham holides Yitzchak. It was Avraham who bore Yitzchak, not Avimelech. But that's going to be an important point, because think about what happens when this guy who looks exactly like Abraham comes and meets a guy named Avimelech, who you assume is the same Avimelech 
which is not, not necessarily the case. Okay. As, as the Mephorshim, as the commentaries point out, Avimelech is the equivalent of the word paro. Okay, it's just the I... name of the king of the area of the Plishtim. Right, so it's not necessarily the same person, but you can imagine if it is the same person, mm-hmm. right? Here comes a guy who looks exactly like Abraham, and he says, "Oh, she's my sister." <laughs> not falling for that one again, right? Okay. Let's take a look at the second pasuk. Yitzchak was forty years old. Bekachto is Rivka when he took Rivka. Took here should be married, right? We've mentioned before the word kicha in the Torah when referring to a, a man and a woman is marriage. Bekafto is Rivka. When he took Rivka, bas bisuel ha'arami. Notice how the Torah identifies her by her genealogy, right? The daughter of Bisuel, the Aramenian, meaning from Aram, which is the area of Me- that we call Mesopotamia today, the area Padan Aram, Rashi says, right. means the, the, the uh, flats, of Arab, the area between the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, which, you know what it's making me think of, right? Yeah, okay. people misunderstanding from the river to the sea. Yes. Achos Lavan Harami, who she was the sister of Lavan Lola Isha, he took her as his wife, right? And this is where, incidentally, the idea that Rivka was three years old, this is how you get that calculation. Right? How? Because if Abraham was, sorry, if Yitzchak was 40, when he married her. Wait, I could I could do the math. He was born in 2048, right? No. Are you sure? Oh, Yitzchak, Abraham, yes. Yeah, Yitzchak, Yitzchak was born in 2048, okay. yes. Are you impressed? Very good. How old was Yitzchak at the time of the Akedah? I can't do the math, but 37 years more than that. Well, he was 37 years old, right? Because we know that Sarah died at the time. Sarah died at 127. She bore Yitzchak at 90. So Yitzchak was 37 years old. And he married Rivka at age 40, which is how many years later? Three. Three years later. If we posit that the reason it mentions the birth of Rivka back two weeks ago's Parsha, immediately following the Akedas, because that's when she was born, which is not necessarily the case. But if we posit that, that means she was three years old, right? Because she was uh, born when he was 37 and got married when he was 40. Isn't the idea that the Torah is not um, chronological a very, like, fundamental part of understanding That gets into a whole fascinating discussion between the Ramban and Rashi with regard to how to understand that... uh, things are not chronological but even if they're not chronological there there are times where the torah is deliberately juxtaposing something uh-huh. to set chronology it may well be though that it's not that she was born then but that's when yako that's when avraham got the news right. in which case she would be older um okay. but rashi certainly seems to take the approach this is the seder olam which incidentally is the oldest book of Jewish history precedes oh. Josephus, even. Right? Okay. Um, it's from the Tanaic period. Um, so that would mean that she was three years old at the time. Obviously, three years old at the time is very different than three years old now. And l- I right. just want to give you a little bit of an example of that, right? Okay. I remember <laughs> when, when I was in Israel, particularly the first time that I was there, watching like five-year-old girls helping their three-year-old sisters cross the street. And it was totally normal, right? 
in other words, we sort of grow a certain way based on the society around us. Okay. And we live in a society in which responsibility, etc., is put on us at a very late stage. And as such, we tend to, well, <laughs> we tend to not grow up very quickly. Okay. On the other hand, people who are born into a society, which was the case at the time, where responsibility was immediately thrust upon you, essentially, that forces a person to mature much more quickly. Right? And so, obviously, they would have been a, a three-year-old at the time looks very different than a three-year-old three would today, right? You can't right. imagine Avi, right? <laughs> well, he's not three anymore. I, he would he would have my head for saying he was three. Um, now, now he's big. Yes, now he's a big boy. Okay. Uh, um, so um, that's uh, that would be the story there. Vayatar Yitzchak Hashem lenochach ishto. Yitzchak davened to Hashem opposite his wife. Oh, sorry, before we go on. Now, why does the Torah um, identify Rivka, the daughter of Besuel, the sister of Lavan, right? So we already kind of indicated one idea, that the whole idea of this Parsha is genealogy. But Rashi uh, goes with a different approach, the Medrash's approach, approach, which is essentially to tell you that even though she grew up in that environment, right, um, which was not a very uh, upstanding environment, shall we say? Great role models. Um, she yeah, had. she yeah she didn't have the best role models. She still became Rivka Imenu, right? Our matriarch Rivka, and she still became this amazing person, right? Um, and we'll learn a little bit more about who exactly, at least her brother Lavan was when when we get to Parshas Vayetze and discover quite the slimy character that he is. Um, but that's, according to Rashi, that's what the Pasuk is coming to indicate to us, is to understand that's where she came from, um, and uh, that's... Um, and yet she still became who she became. I, I also forgot to mention, um, based on this idea that Rivka was three years old, Rabbeinu Bachai in last week's Parsha, in Parsha's Chayisara, says that when she is lifting the water, it has mm -hmm. to have been a miracle. Because there's no way a three-year-old would be able to have the strength, the physical strength, to draw water for so many camels, right? And it has to have been a miracle. So just an interesting aside. So is that like a, a sign for him, a further sign that... Well, yeah, we didn't discuss it last week, but there were a number of signs that he saw. The water rising towards her, etc. Right. There were a number of signs that... But just the miracle is in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Pasach Chaf Aleph. Vayatar Yitzchak Hashem lenochach ishto. Yitzchak davened to Hashem opposite his wife. Ki akarahi, for she was barren. Now, if someone is three years old, how do you know that they're barren? They're not old enough to bear children yet. Right. Right? So, which means that for sure there's a 10-year gap, at least, between the previous Pasuk and this Pasuk. Okay. In fact, the way Chazal understand it, there's actually a 20-year gap. Because until a couple have been married for 10 years without children, 
we don't see any indication. Obviously, this is not in the with today's understanding of medicine, right? But at the time, right, and and in to a certain degree with certain halachic implications, right? If a couple is not married for more than ten years, there is no evidence that they are not able to conceive. It can take up to ten years, right? So you have to wait ten years from when she. So 10 years from when from, she's able to conceive, right, right. which so would mean 20, 20 years, years later. Okay. So she's now in her early 20s, 23, something like that. Right? Um, so he Davin and Vataha Rivka Ishto and his wife Rivka became pregnant. Now, what's interesting is, I think I might have skipped a phrase. Hashem. Hashem listened to him. Vataha Rivka Ishto and his wife Rivka became pregnant. Um, so let's discuss this pasuk. Okay. Right now, why did Hashem listen to him and not her? Let's address that question shortly. But before we do that, I translated Lenochach Ishto as opposite his wife. That's only one way of of understanding that phrase. The more simple, perhaps, way of understanding the phrase is that Lenochach means about, right? That oh, he was praying for her. Which would fit much better into the pasuk ki akarahi, right? That because she was barren. Um, Rashi, on the other other hand, takes the more midrashic approach that lenochach means the way it would often be understood as opposite. That she went to her corner, he went to his corner, and they were davening. Apparently, it seems from that Rashi that you know prayer is not a couple based thing, but. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and um, and as the pasuk tells us, Hashem listened to him. So why did Hashem listen to him? So the Gemara in Yevamos actually addresses this question. The Gemara gives a very interesting answer, which we'll have to examine a little more. the The Gemara says, "She'eno domet tfilas tzadik ben Rasha letfilas tzadik ben tzadik." The Prayer of the tzaddik, who's the son of a tzaddik, meaning Yitzchak, who's the son of Avraham, is greater than the prayer of the, in this case, tzaddikas, right? Rivka, whose father is Besuah. Besuah. The obvious problem with that Gemara is we know that the Gemara elsewhere in Brachos tells us, that a balchuva, someone who has come from a difficult past, right? Which is, as we saw before, what the Torah is trying to indicate to us about her, right? That even though she grew up in, with such difficulty, they are able to stand in a place where even the most pure of tzaddikim is unable to stand. So how do we reconcile? So how this? do we reconcile those two? Um, the only possible reconciliation that makes sense to me, and I've heard this idea from Rabbi Noah Weinberg and from others, is that it must be something that's unique to tefillah. Right? The Gemara says that the tefillah of a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik, is greater. Not that he, the person, is greater, but that their tefillah is greater. And that is because when it comes to tefillah, when it comes to prayer, we have the ability to tap into what's known as Zchus Avos, the merits of our forefathers. 
right? So therefore, someone who has that bank, so to speak, of merits is able to achieve more than someone who doesn't have that bank of merits. But it's not to say necessarily that they are a greater person. In fact, perhaps the opposite. Right. Okay. Pasuk And the children were... Oh! <laughs> You're so excited. The children, I have to make sure we do enough that you can quote it. The children were fighting within her. That would be one way to understand the word vice wrote it to the other possible way. I just way. thought of a question. Sorry to interrupt. Um, in those days, mm-hmm. twins were generally a surprise, right? Like Correct. Without sonograms. Correct. So was it very unusual that she, or she didn't know at this point that she was having twins? She doesn't know, well, which we'll see in just a minute. Uh, okay. Vice wrote, the other way to interpret the word vice wrote it to is it's from the Hebrew word rats, which means to run. Right. And in other words, it felt like the children were running inside of her. Right. And Vatomer, and she said, If this is the case, why am I? Now, how do you understand that phrase? There's two approaches to how to, or actually more than two, but two primary approaches to understanding that, that phrase. One is, which incidentally, if I remember correctly, is the way that the um, that the Ibn Ezra, yeah, no, sorry, the way that the Chizkuni understands the Pasuk is it's an existential statement, meaning she's she's saying, I want to die. Lama Zayanochi, why? I don't want to live with this. Right? With what? Because the, which would it was mean, painful? Or? Which would seem to indicate that it was an extremely painful pregnancy, an extremely difficult pregnancy. Okay. Uh, others understand, um, this is Rashi, and others understand that Lamaza Onohi is, is part of a phrase, why am I dot praying for children? Right? Interesting. Which would also indicate that, you know, she's asking, I mean, it would indicate a difficult pregnancy, but less so than the statement, right, which the Ramban right. actually has serious issue with, um, with the um, statement that she wanted to die? Um, sorry, no. The Ramban takes that approach as well. Um, but others have serious issue w- with to say that she would want to die. Um, right. I mean, it seems like a pretty intense uh, reaction. So, but then again, you know, none of us have gone through life without uh, modern medicine and whatnot so right. and she went to seek god right what does that mean she went to seek god the simple understanding is that she went to the prophets of the day who would the prophets of the day be shame Weaver. you missed someone very important her husband why didn't she ask yitzchak I don't know. Why didn't she? And that's a a very mysterious element of the Parsha. Um, One possibility is to to say, based on what we were just discussing before, she felt bad asking Yitzchak. Here we are, right? Right. Like if if I was really, if I was like in terrible pain, I wouldn't want to worry you. So I would like, 
Right. So she Hold wanted to ask someone else. <laughs> that that would be one one okay. one approach. Um and so therefore she went, as you mentioned, to um she went to Shane. Um also, incidentally, um the the Hiskuni understands that she was worried about losing the child. That's why she went right she didn't go to ask what's going on she went to ask is everything okay uh-huh. right um and that's why she went her the answer that she got was was not necessarily what she went asking for but that was that was why she went okay i just want to put a, a, a this is I would say it's a Hasidic shot, but the problem is it's actually the Vilna Gon who says this. Okay, that's pretty much mm-hmm. not as Hasidic um, as it gets. And based on Rashi's approach. So Rashi understood that Vayisrotetu meant that they were running. Right? Okay. And Rashi quotes the Midrash that says that actually they were running to two different places. Right? One so was the- running every time she passed by a base Midrash. One would try to run out. That would be Yaakov. And every time she passed by a place of idol worship. The other one would try to run out, and that would be Ace of Except. She didn't realize that there were two. That there were two. And so therefore she was very confused. Like maybe this baby is schizophrenic or something. <laughs> Multiple personalities. A DID, right? Yeah, Dissociative DID. identity disorder. Um so therefore she went to ask. So the Vilnagone adds a little bit of an interesting reading of the Basak. He says which would explain why the 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 wording of the pasuk is a little strange. Lama ze anochi doesn't mean why am I? Why do I exist? Or why do I want this? But rather, it means why does the Torah say anochi? Where does the Torah say anochi? Anochi Hashem. Anochi Hashem alokecha. I am Hashem, your God. There is only one God. Okay. She was confused because assuming that this it's one, one child, how could it be worshiping two different gods? So Vatelech, he says, Lidrosh Es Hashem, the Pasuk says, Es Hashem Elokechatira, you should fear God. But we know that every time the Torah uses the word S, it's to include something, as right. you're, I'm sure. Exactly, as I'm sure Yaakov told you. Chaya. Well, it doesn't say sister, it says brother. Oh, well, she never she never mentioned that. Okay, right? So every time the Torah uses, yeah, sure. So the Torah, every time the Torah uses the word S, it's to include something in addition to the simple understanding of the Pasuk, which the Gemara Mesachis Kedushin says, well, what about S? Kabeit s avicha s imecha honor your mother and your father. The Gemara says it's coming to include your older brother. Okay. Well. Now the reason why it says your older brother, and by the way, it may be specifically your oldest brother, is because as the bechor, they are the so to speak mamali makom. They're the one who fills the place of the father. Uh-huh. Right? That's the typical... The king of the family. Well, the king of the family, of course. <laughs> but that's the typical... That's why the Bechor gets a double right. portion, because they're seen as the one who takes over right. the family after the father dies. Right? And so, S, in that case, would mean that the person who is also going to be the the future of your of your parent. Uh-huh. Right? That's how, that's how you would understand the verse. In which case... Returning to our verse, right? Why does it say Vatelach Lidrosh Es Hashem? 
She went to understand why does it say Es Hashem Elokecha Tira, fear God. But S means we're including something else. What is there to fear other than God? Okay. Perhaps there's some other source of power in the universe. But as the Gemara in Masachis Kedushin actually says that Rabbi Akiva was actually very bothered by this particular Pasuk. And in okay. fact, his Rebbe, Nachum Gamzu, was the one who kind of invented, I shouldn't say invented, but the one who really taught this idea of S coming to include something and abandoned it because of the verse, S Hashem But as the Gemara explains, S Hashem is coming to include Talmidei Chachamim. The representatives of God in this world, our sages, etc., so, they so are like, the ones. So, but that's the, in this and the case, answer so, to her, though, was, no, you're misunderstanding. It's not one child. So, Vayomer Hashem la. And Hashem said to her, what? Did I get it right? Excellent. Okay, so Hashem told her, you have two nations. Thank you, fourth grade. <laughs> you have two nations in your belly, right? Two, um, two uh, nations will separate from your innards. One nation will be stronger than the other. That would be one way of translating it. And the older one will worship the younger one. Or not worship, will, will serve the younger one. Though, as Rabbi Sachs actually points out, which is interesting that they made you memorize this because the the language here is is a language nivui, meaning oftentimes we find that a nivua, a prophecy, is said in a sort of poetic type of language, which can be understood in multiple ways. And you'll notice that over here, what she's told is written in that sort of poetic style. Right. Um, and so, therefore, you can actually interpret this in two different ways. So, for example, that last phrase, Virav Ya'avod Sa'ir, can either be understood as the older one will serve the younger one, or it could be understood as the older one will be served by the younger one. Virav and the older one, Ya'avod Sa'ir, the younger one, the older one, Ya'avod Sa'ir, the younger one will serve. Right. Give you an English. Okay. If I said the older one, the younger one will serve. That could be understood two different ways. Right. It could either mean the older one will serve the younger one, or it can mean the younger one will serve the older one. Right. And perhaps Yitzchak and Rivka had different interpretations of the nevuah. Oh, so she went back and told it to Yitzchak. Ah, that is a big question. Did Yitzchak know about this nevuah or not? Question number one. Question number two, if he did know about this prophecy, why in the world was he going to be giving the bracha to Yitz to Asaph? So I just answered it. the question. Right. If he did, it could be he interpreted the Nevuah differently. That would be one approach. Rabshamshid Rafael Hirsch, on the other hand, is of the opinion that she never told um, she not? never told Yitzhak the Nevuah. Um, and, and it's not only him. There are really Rishonim who, who say that. He, though, suggests that it was a mistake. Um, and that there was a, <laughs> a lack of communication between them. 
lack of communication between in a, a husband couple? and wife. Yes, who would That's believe it? In so fact, Rishamshir Fal Hirsch has an approach which my father's Rebbe here, Yaakov Weinberg, was not a big fan of. That actually they they Yitzchak and Rivka failed in their parenting of Esav, and that is why Esav turned out the way that he did. Yikes! That's a very harsh. Thing yes, to say. Um, that's his approach. Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg was of the opinion that, that uh, they knew Chinuch a lot better than Rib Shamshin Rafal Hirsch. Um, <laughs> but I have a question about that. Yes, I mean, if in the womb he was already running, trying to leave to go right. to the idol worshippers, doesn't that tell us that no Chinuch in the world was going to stop that? Yes, from- yes, and and I I think. And, and maybe we'll kind of uh, close a little bit with this idea. I think that actually the Torah is telling us quite the opposite. I think one of the messages that the Torah is telling us in this week's Parsha is you can take two genetically identical people. There's no closer genetics than twins, right? Were they identical twins? We don't know. They weren't identical twins, at least the way that the Torah describes them. They didn't look the same. Oh, okay. Right? Um, whether genetically they were identical or not is a different question, right? But there's no nothing closer, right, genetically than twins, right? And yet one can become a Yaakov and the other can become an Esau. And I think that that's, that is actually the message of this week's Parsha, right? That our lives are, is, are created by our choices, Right. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter, you know, the fact that we have the same parents, right? And the same upbringing, you would assume, right? That they were brought up the same, right? This brings up the whole question of twin studies, right? Okay. You would assume that they're brought up the same. What was that Malcolm Gladwell podcast where they did twin studies with twins who had been separated from birth and they still found... Um, I'm not sure if it was Malcolm... Um... They still found... Um, right, there, I mean, there's a famous story in, in South America that so, twins yeah. were separated accidentally at birth, right. and they, like, had a lot in common. There's a few, right. other, there's a few right. stories. Um, but that ultimately, it is our choices who make us who we are. Uh, another way of putting this in the context of child rearing, right, is that raising children is like making chalant. <laughs> <laughs> you can put in all the right ingredients... You never know how it's going to turn out. Depends who the guests are, right? <laughs> you never know how it's going to turn out. Um, and the same is true, right, with Yaakov and Esau. Not that their parents failed, uh, or Esau's parents failed in any way, right? But that ultimately, a person makes their own choices. Um, let's um, discuss a little bit. Um, what it says in this nevoah, because I think this nevoah is very uh, appropriate for the period of time that we find ourselves in. Okay. We're used to thinking of uh, our cousins, uh, who are giving us so much trouble today, <laughs> as being descendants of Yishma'al. But the truth is, if you look in next week's Parsha, okay. we find out that Yishma'al and Esav, actually, actually the very end of this week's Parsha, but Yishmael and Esav intermarry. And the child who is born from that union, we find out in next week's Parsha, uh, sorry, two weeks Parsha, is 
Amalek. Fascinatingly. Um, and I think that are actually... Are you saying that the modern day... I'm not saying that they are genetically Amalek. What I am saying is that they certainly seem to show indicators of how we understand Amalek. Because... It's the two forces that... First of all, the idea, which we'll discuss in just a moment, that they are contradictory and opposite and unable to coexist forces. Yeah. But more than that, one of the things we know about Amalek is that they were very into suicide attacks. Really? Yeah. Um, right. So they attacked the Jews when they left Egypt, even though they knew they were going to going to lose. Right. But as Rashi, Asher Korcha, Rashi later in, in, in Chumash explains, but they still showed some sort of weakness. Right. Even though they lost, ultimately, they were able to show that the Jews are not invulnerable. Right. right? Um, and that certainly seems to be um, a, a theme. That we find with uh, with 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 some of our enemies, um, but I want to take a look at this pasuk because we're told the following: There are two nations in your womb, and they will separate from birth. Right. So right. as we find, almost immediately, they are different. Right. right. Uh, and we're told that that would usually be translated as one nation will be more powerful than the other. However, the other way of reading this, which is the way the Midrash and, and the Gemara Masechus Menkillah seem to read this, is one nation will draw strength from the other, meaning when one is powerful, the other will be weak, and when one is weak, the other will be powerful. In other words, as you were mentioning before, these are two opposite forces that cannot coexist. Virav Yavod Sa'ir, and as we saw before, there's two different ways of understanding that. <clears throat> Her pregnancy completed. Um which means, as Rashi explains, right, we, there's another situation of twins in the Torah. Do you know who the other twins in the Torah were? Mm-hmm. Parats and Zarach? Yes, right? Oh, Tamar wow. has twins. <clears throat> Parats and Zarach. But over there, it just says when she bore children, or when she gave birth, so that would mean that she actually did not come to term. Whereas, um, in this case, Vayim Le'uya Mehalalades, they did come to, to term. There were uh, twins in her stomach or in her womb. Um, and the word tomim over here is written without an aleph, even though usually the word would be te'umim, bevitna. Um, and as Rashi explains, as opposed to by tamar, where it is written with the aleph, mm-hmm. right? Because over there, they were both fine upstanding citizens whereas over here right from the minute he was born one of them was missing something um well let's let's examine that right the the problem of calvinism predestination the first one came out red kulo adera sear it was like a hairy blanket and they called him Asaph. 
What does the name Asav mean? Uh, something about hair? No, that's usually how it's explained, but that's not what the word Asav means. The word Asav means the mate fully made one. Meaning Ooh, he, he was, was born, born with, like, teeth. with well, that's the medrash. They say that about serial killers also. <laughs> really? I don't know. There's like one that has like some legend about them that they were born with teeth, but Okay. Well it's interesting because the Medrash, which you're quoting, has a very interesting end. I'm quoting the Medrash. Well, no. The, well, you the, you quoted the Medrash initially, being born with teeth. Yeah. The Medrash says that he was born with teeth, and Targum Yonason over here says it brings that Medrash. He was born, according to the Targum Yonason, with a beard and with teeth, etc. No wonder her pregnancy was painful. <laughs> I, I don't, again, this is a Medrash that I don't think is meant to be understood literally. Okay. The right. point is, he was fully formed. There was a sense of Asav being born fully formed, right? Um, in fact, go. ready to go, exactly. In fact, um, the Medrash ends, which is what would relate to what you were discussing before, the Medrash ends that he essentially, he, he tied his mother's tubes on the way out. Um, what? <laughs> in order to prevent her from being able to have any more children. I, yes. Definitely didn't teach that in me, Sanko. <laughs> Um, in what? other words, what is the Medrash saying? Und to understand what the Medrash is saying is that Asav understands himself as being the entire world. So therefore, there's no need for anybody else. Right? Wow. Who needs any more kids? You got me! <laughs> right? <laughs> and so that's what the Medrash is saying. Right? And that is who Asav is. Now, there's something important to Asav, and this, by the way, is how we can fully understand the rest of the Parsha. The truth is, Yaakov and Asav are really supposed to live in partnership. That's really the way it's supposed to be. However, Asav did not accept that. And we don't have the time to go into it, really, how the brachas that Yaakov steals... <laughs> the brachas that Yaakov steals are actually Asav's brachas, Right. And Yaakov, from this point on, becomes a dual identity. He has to be himself, but he also absorbs, excuse me, or swallows Esav's identity, which is why Yaakov has two names, Yaakov and Yisrael, okay. because he lives two lives, which is, of course, why he marries both Leah and Rachel, one of whom was really supposed to marry Esav, um, but... We don't have the time to go in, in depth to examine the psukim and see that. But what I do want to point out is this. Yes, they were different from birth, right? To get to your question, he was like that way from when he was born, in retrospect. But it was not determined to be that way. Right? That was the way he made He it. had a power that he could have used, right? Asav is the epitome of the concept of din, which we talked about a little bit run Rosh Hashanah time, right? Asaph is the person who is, he's a self-made man. That's who Asaph is, right? Okay. He wants to achieve everything on his own. He doesn't want to be given anything. And that's an important tool to use in our arsenal. We need to use that sometimes. To be independent. To be independent, right? Um, but he took it too far? Yes. 
Um, okay. And um, we'll just see the next verse and we'll have to end there. After Esav was born, his brother came out. He was holding on to Esav's heel. And he called his name Yaakov. Rashi points out in the previous verse, it says they called him Esav. In other words, everyone called him that. Whereas here... You just take one look at him and you're like, oh yeah, he's oh, yeah. done. <laughs> he, he's done. <laughs> um, it's interesting. My mother has commented to me before that... Um, babies who go past term have a overdone look to them sometimes. <laughs> Interesting. Vayikra Shema Yaakov, he called him Yaakov. Yitzchak men shishim shana baladis osam. Yitzchak was 60 years old when they were born. And by the way, this is how you see that he must have waited 10 years plus an additional 10 years, right? 10 years for her to be able to right. have children, then an additional 10 years. So 20 years later, he it's only 20 years later that they have those children. I'll end off with this idea, um, okay. not so related to what we were discussing, but it's a very interesting comment from the Ibn Ezra. And I, I mentioned it last week, so I want to I wanna say it over. Okay. As we continue the Parsha, we notice... After the discussion of uh, Esav and Yaakov, when we get to the story of Yitzchak going down to the land of the Plishtim, which, by the way, did that happen before or after Yitzchak and Yaakov were born? If it's after they're born, if we understand the Torah chronologically, then the story makes even less sense. Can you imagine? They come, they come to town, Yitzchak and Rivka, with two little kids in tow, right? Oh, yeah, oh but she's my sister, <laughs> right? So, okay. Um, anyhow, in that story, Yitzchak all of a sudden doesn't have any wealth, and he has to remake all of his wealth. So the, the Ibn Ezra, and if you know the story of the Ibn Ezra's history, you find that this comment will, will make much more sense. The Ibn Ezra says, foolish people ask, what happened to his wealth? As if they've never seen someone make a million and lose a million. <laughs> it doesn't use exactly that phrase, but the Ibn Ezra throughout his life struggled very much financially. Mm-hmm. He was very poor. Um, but that's an interesting comment from the Ibn Ezra as to where exactly Yitzchak's wealth went. What's the problem? His father made a million dollars, he lost it, and then he had to make it again. Okay. All right. So just to wrap up, what we see in this week's parsha, the our brief glimpse into Yitzchak, because we don't have much uh, information about him, is that he seems to do everything that his father did. He is either the bridge, the continuation of the genealogy of the Jewish people, that's the stress of this week's Torah portion, or perhaps he chooses things on his own, in which case the focus of this Torah portion would be very much about the concept of choice, right? And how you could have two identical so to speak, twins, right, who end up very different based on the choices that they make. Very nice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for listening.